I feel like a lot of people are starting to use streaming uh, somewhat in place of radio. I'd say radio is like, as far as just, if you're just gonna get in your car and just listen to music, some people these days might turn on the radio, but if you're a Spotify or an Apple, you can just turn on that and listen to some playlist that's generated by them or some radio station that's generated by them. You don't have to have any ads. So a lot of people are switching over to that. Well, when that happens, um, the, the record label and the artist are getting paid off of that, not just the songwriter. Uh, the songwriter is also getting paid. But see, on radio play, only the songwriter is getting paid off of that. And so record labels have... Know that. Yeah. So record labels have never made any money off a of radio play directly. All the money that's, all the royalty money goes to songwriters and publishers. Welcome to the Lone Star Play Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Join me and a famous guest every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We discuss their career, life, food, Texas, and everything in between. Let's get started. Over your left, there's something hanging there. It's like a... a That's a fox skin. Fox skin. <laughs> I love that. That's cool. That is yeah. Cool. And what, where is that? Where, where are you at right now? Like, where are you hanging out? Well, I'm hanging out in my backyard and the, I've got it set up to do stuff like this and videos and stuff. So the rest of the room doesn't look as cool as this looks. <laughs> uh, you know how that goes. I've got, I run right here. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. We, so this is my, this is my little backyard oasis where, um, I have my office and I have my, video area here and then i have um all the merchandise for our band so when people order stuff off the website that's me fulfilling those orders in fact shucks i haven't ordered today i haven't filled yet that's right and then uh you know just uh this is where i write my songs and get away from the family yeah totally what what part Hopefully of they won't barge in on us is, uh yeah <laughs> what part of uh texas are you uh, we live in McKinney, Texas, which is north of DFW, little ways. Um, it's my wife's hometown where she was born and raised. And uh, Oh, nice. Yeah, we moved here to be a lot uh, over the years. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. I mean, we when we were dating, we used to go to Frisco to make out because there was nobody there. <laughs> and now there's like a oh. huge mall right right about that same spot. That is so fun. Yeah, for Dallas, I mean, I grew up in uh, DFW myself, actually, um, and it has changed. And <laughs> I mean, it has grown so. I grew up in a little town called Euless, uh, which we used yeah. to call Useless, Texas. Um, right. Which uh, it, it was nothing back when I grew up in the 80s. I mean, nothing, just a little nut blimp. And now, if you drive through Euless, I, I mean, you don't know where all the other towns stop and start, actually. Right. Colleyville, Grave, I like it's just all uh, uh, together. But yeah, McKinney as well, Frisco, like you said, they're all just blowing up, man. Does that mean more opportunities to play music for you when things like that happen? Is that what that means? It it does, yeah. Actually, um, you know, I, we moved back here in 2008 after spending nine years in Nashville, and uh, one of the first things I discovered is that 
the whole Dallas Fort Worth area is really one of the biggest markets in the country for country music as far as just number of fans around here that that are into that and um that it's actually a great place to be from to do what i do there's lots of gigs lots of venues lots of good quality venues um um you know some people i think feel like it's hard to draw a crowd here if you're not from here or whatever And, and maybe it's like that everywhere a little bit but uh but i think there's a real uh, healthy music scene. I was actually very pleasantly surprised when I moved here because, you know, after nine years in Nashville, we lived on Music Row. We were in, we were five minutes from downtown. We were five minutes from Vanderbilt. I could walk to all of, I could walk to every record label and publisher in town practically. And I, I was afraid that McKinney would just kind of feel like boring suburbiaville. But it's really, uh, it's really got a good music scene here. Lots of people that I respect, lots of cool venues. Um, and so it's ended up being um, kind of nice to be uh, a medium-sized fish in a medium-sized pond, you know. <laughs> that's a good way to look at it, yeah. Uh, oh, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, I can't imagine the, um, you know, the juxtaposition between Nashville, like you said, where you were living, and then going to McKinney. Uh, but I'm glad to hear that uh mckinney doesn't randy travis live out there mckinney too i feel like some other somewhere live out there too yeah randy lives up north somewhere um i mean there are uh like max stalling and 1100 springs and the Teos brothers all kind of frequent this area and um, austin cunningham is a cool songwriter that splits his time between here and nashville and um john christopher davis and scott sean white and uh there's there's really a good a surprising community here of songwriters guitar players uh you know bands yeah yeah that's awesome where where do you think so nashville is considered i guess like maybe the capital of country music in some ways right um yeah where, 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 what would be another city? Like, what's second to Nashville? Uh, in the world of country music, I would say almost the Texas music scene as a whole is sort of the 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 biggest subgenre because America, the Americana genre, is kind of out there. But it's if it has. Uh, a central location it'd probably be nashville yeah Um, and a lot of the americana artists are kind of spread out all over the country but uh you know there's some in Asheville, north carolina and and around different places but i'd say the texas music scene um as a tight-knit group is is a pretty sizable chunk and i mean i guess this the the center of that would be austin so i'd say austin has a fair run and austin's growing um you know um I'm, I'm in i live in austin yeah it reminds me a lot of nashville really the two towns are similar they're they're like they're big enough to kind of have everything that you that a big city has but they're still small enough to feel like you know uh it's not just it's not this gargantuan sprawling you know thing but uh, although they're both growing rapidly as well so that, that is very true um austin i've been here since um 
May and June of 2014. Basically, I moved here to open a food truck. Actually, and cool. how's uh, that going? I closed it last year in March. I mean, great. It was going great. I, I just was tired of it. Five years of food trucking and catering and <laughs> restaurants and, and, you know, just I basically can eliminate those five years from my life because I didn't have one. Right, right. But it was fine. Honestly, I'm thankful I don't have it anymore because of what's going on right now, because all my other friends who have restaurants and kitchens and whatever catering business, they are struggling. Uh, yeah, I bet. So I would be going through the exact same thing had I not done that. Um, and there was no rhyme or reason, really. Just was just tired of it, really, to be honest with you. As a chef, um, you, you work a lot of hours. I'm sure you've heard that, right? Chefs work like crazy hours, just like right. a kitchen. You know, you work a lot of weird, odd hours. You're, you miss every holiday. You miss every weekend. I mean, that's what you're doing. Yeah. And other people celebrate their stuff. So I'm... Right. I, came too much. I mean, I've been in the industry 15 years and made this pivot to start hosting a podcast. And now this is what I do. I get to talk to great people like you about, you know, amazing things. Um, so, but yeah, that's, so that's interesting about Austin. Yeah. It, it has changed a lot, you know, even just in the six, God, six years I've been here. I just to say yeah. that out is nuts. Uh, but, but it has changed a lot just in those six years. And what's funny is back in 2014, when I moved here, everyone was like, no, don't, don't move to Austin. We got enough people, right? Just stop moving here. We, we don't like anybody moving here. And now six years later, they say the same thing, but it's those, even those same people who moved here six years ago are now saying, don't move here. It's like, it's okay for you to move here, but not, <laughs> not for anybody else. Um, is Nashville kind of that same way where people are like, they want to keep people away. It's a weird dichotomy, right? Like you want yeah. to well, but you're trying to keep people away from it. I don't get it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it Nashville is the same way. And, you know, like when I, I moved from Nashville in 2008, so that was right at the sort of housing crisis and all that stuff. And um, so Nashville was growing then, but that kind of put a damper on it. And then, <clears throat> but then in the 10 or 15 years since then, I mean, you had the, the TV show Nashville then you have like the success of shows like American Pickers and stuff. And, but then you just, I mean, it's just a cool city. And so what you end up having, I think what Austin and Nashville both have is they have um, these little neighborhoods where um, it still feels quaint. It still feels local, locally owned, local character places that have been around for years and years. And they don't, if you have enough people move in, it's one thing to just, okay, a lot of people move in and now those same places are crowded, but it's another thing when they start bulldozing those places and building high rises. Yeah, And that's, that's what's happening some in Nashville. And that's what's happening some in Austin. I think that's hundred percent in Austin. What, sure. what a lot of people object to is when the little mom and pop places that have been there for 50 years get bulldozed. And yeah, I get it. I get it a hundred percent. I, I totally but, happening on rainy street is a very <clears throat> street here in Austin doing the same thing, taking those old houses. Nashville did the same thing, right? They have these old houses that they turn into bars and stuff, right? Uh, which is great. And yeah, Austin rainy street specifically is just, I, I, I had my food truck on rainy for almost three years and, uh, just a very special place to me and to see it it has completely changed just in the two years since i've not been there they already put up a high rise in those in that amount of time i mean the whole street looks so different so yeah i, I get that it, uh, that's a tough 
that's a tough dilemma to be in because we want to yeah. forward, right? But at the same time, we want to preserve traditions and and right. history. And, and I'm I'm all for history and preserving traditions, and that's kind of what country music's about too, in a lot of ways. Do you think? You know? Yeah, I, I think I do think that country music has a naturally sort of conservative bent to it. And when I think of the whole idea of conservative conservatism or whatever, you know, I, I feel like the word conservative doesn't do it great justice. Cause it sounds kind of negative, like kind of bland or just like, <laughs> like, you know, when you think of progressive, that sounds good. Everybody wants progress. Conservative. That sounds like you're just like this greedy miserly, you know, thing, but, but it's really more of like a, a holding on to the good things from the past and not letting them get bulldozed and turned into, you know, something that's not as good as what the, as what the past had. And, and I do think that country um, has more of a mindset of, of sort of uh, a connection to nature and sort of a faith and family and country bent and just sort of a real instruments people that really know how to play real instruments people that are telling stories about real life and <clears throat> all of those things have sort of a timeless i think when country music is done best it's universal and timeless um and then and you know when it's done wrong it's just pandering and stupid but all genres have a little bit of that in them somewhere <clears throat> yeah i mean there's people right that have maybe i don't know if i'm using the right word but hijacked country the genre in a little bit to sort of add to their music right so then you've got this weird country pop i, I don't even know what to describe it as to be honest with you um you know I, i'm i'm curious as a you know probably a, a a natural country musician as yourself you would say maybe a real one what do you think about that type of music i mean i know you said every genre sort of has it but does that stuff sort of bug you do you think it's necessary or you just think it's part of the game you know just what happens um <clears throat> well i've got the <clears throat> excuse me sorry uh, so i have like kind of two prongs to that answer because one, one of them is sort of what i personally like and that's just you know, sort of my opinion. Uh, and then, and I would say on that score, I like, I like when, you know, I like when people are playing real instruments like fiddle and steel and, and guitar. I just, there's something about the atmosphere of those instruments, mandolin. And, you know, yeah. I can't play that mandolin and fiddle very well, but <clears throat> I just love, um, I'm, I'm in awe of people who can. And, um, I just, I, I naturally gravitate towards that type of stuff more than I do the electronically generated um, stuff. And, but you know, that's just a matter of personal taste. I think there's another larger issue of sort of the sort of dumbing down of music or the, the cheapening of the, uh, the content and uh, sort of the lyrical content and I think that, you know, a good song, a great song is a great song. And so, I mean, if it's, if it's sort of a poppy great song, I'm, I'm actually cool with that as long as it's a great song. Um, but it, but even if it has fiddle and steel guitar, if it's just this, if it's just sort of a cheap pandering 
song that just sort of plays to our, I guess, sort of base, basic, basest instincts as human beings. Just it's you know just the, the songs that are just all about partying or or uh, you know being young and hot or whatever. Um, I, some of that stuff, um, yeah. I just don't have a lot of patience for it. I can understand why. Um, why a certain demographic is into that. If you're young and hot, maybe you like hearing songs about that stuff. Uh, but what did you listen to? Like me. what were your influences? Like curious. Yeah. Well, so I, um, I, I didn't exactly grow up in a musical family. My, my dad, I mainly listened to what my parents listened to, which my dad was all he listened to is classical music. That's it. Uh, no popular music at all. And then my mom listened to like the soft hits of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Like Michael <laughs> Bolton and yeah. Gloria Estefan and stuff. And um, so I just kind of rode that wave for uh, a long time when I was a kid growing up. And then kind of when I got into my own stuff, basically I dabbled in this and that, a little Duran Duran, a little Enya, a little this, a little that. Just whatever I came across, um, maybe f heard in a movie or something like that. And then one day uh, when I was old enough to get the keys to the car, um, you know, after church, I'd be like, mom, can I have the keys to the car? And I just go sit in the car and be antisocial, you know, <laughs> and I would turn on the uh, radio and I'd flip around and I found the Bob Kingsley country countdown, you know, and I, I had never listened to country music before. So I was, I guess I was about 16 and listened to the Bob Kingsley countdown and kind of heard, you know, Colin Ray and Garth Brooks and Randy Travis and Travis Tritt and uh, Reba McIntyre and Trisha Yearwood and, and just all the, the whole 90s country thing kind of sucked me in because um, it had really good lyrics. I could understand what they were saying. I mean, I like pop music, but a lot of pop music, it's all about the beat and the the music itself the the timbres and the textures in the music and you oftentimes you either can't understand what they're saying or you have no idea what they're talking about yeah. um and country music uh sort of they were like speaking plainly in a way i could understand but it was clever it was funny it was heartfelt it was it told stories and um so i uh I kind of got into country music there a little bit in high school and college, but I was the only one out of all my friends really in high school or college that listened to any country. And so my, my knowledge of it was very limited mainly to just uh, what mainstream radio was playing. So I didn't even, I went to school in Abilene, Texas, the Abilene Christian university. And I, I didn't, uh, I didn't know anything about the Texas music scene or I, I, ne I never heard Pat Green or, or Jack Ingram or any of the guys that were around at that time, Robert Earl. Um, I've discovered all that stuff later, but um, so yeah, all my friends, this was the nineties. So all my friends in college were all listening to like Pearl Jam and yeah. Uh, you know, U2 and Alanis Morissette and stuff. Yeah. And you didn't play guitar at this time. You hadn't, I played uh, just as a very, I picked up a guitar when I was 17 and I was very, um, I had grown up playing piano, but just classical music on sort of like typical piano lessons and singing in church. I grew up in the church of Christ. So we, we have 
acapella singing, congregational singing, everybody sings and everybody sings four part harmony and stuff. So definitely grew up around harmonies and singing, but um, didn't play, only played piano at home and then picked up the guitar and I was very mediocre, still still am. I've improved a lot. I've been working hard on my guitar playing, especially the last few years. Um, I'd like to be a flat picker someday, but it's it's hard. But um, but um, yeah, I was just in college. I was just strumming around and started writing songs. Just did it for fun. Just I will say, songwriting has always kind of come natural to me. I just have ideas kind of popping in my head and. Yeah. And, and and I like singing. And so I just kind of flesh them out. And so I did that as a hobby in college and made a couple of little super cheap, uh, low budget, didn't know what I was doing records and just sold them around campus for like five bucks each, you know, and that's hustling, right? I mean, that's how you got to do it in the, yeah. you got hustling. Yeah. Oh, I used to carry them around with, in my backpack with a sign, had a sign on my backpack that said, uh, because it said I had three, I had number number cards, and so it would say like nine hundred seventy six left. Yeah, and that's all it said. And then people would come up and say, "What's that sign for?" And I'd be like, "Oh, I have my own CD. They're five bucks." And then oh, I'll take one, and then I'd change it to nine hundred seventy five left. That is awesome. I never. Heard that. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, it worked. I sold all thousand of them that way, just walking around campus. Wow, that's amazing to be honest with you, right? Like that's actually amazing yeah. to sell all of those. Um, gosh, that's so. Was it maybe the feedback you got from people that kept you going, right? Or was yeah. that the thing where people listen to like, "Damn, this is really good." So that gave you sort of confidence, strength to be like, "Shit, maybe I can do this." Yeah, yeah. Basically, people people were digging the songs. You know, I had I've always sort of uh my forte i guess is writing these kind of heartfelt songs that like get people's heartstrings um so i had a couple of songs that you know would make people cry or tear up or whatever and and yeah. you know there's it's not i guess for a lot of people there's not all that many songs that do that so i i would get good feedback like that from people um and i just played it little on campus you know this was acu so no drinking we weren't allowed to go to bars the dean used to go around to the bars and look for ACU parking stickers uh, <laughs> on cars in the parking lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Take down the number. Oh shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't play at any bars. I didn't put together a band, you know, uh, but I just played solo acoustic coffee house stuff. And, um, I met Aaron Watson there. Aaron Watson uh, was. I just talked to Aaron Watson uh, two hours ago. I just had him okay. on the podcast. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Aaron um, was at ACU with me, and I just remember him. We didn't know each other well. I think he transferred in as like a sophomore or something, and he might have been a year above or behind me. I can't remember. But he, I just remember him coming up to me in the campus center and introducing himself and giving me. Might have been a cassette tape. It might have been a CD, but it might have been a cassette tape of uh, some songs that he had written. He had just he was just learning guitar. I remember he took guitar lessons from the guitar teacher there on campus, and um, he was wanting to know my opinion because he'd heard me at one of these little on uh, on campus coffee houses, and he liked my stuff. 
So I just vaguely remember that. I just remember thinking that it sounded like country music to me and I told him to keep doing what he was doing. And then uh, when I moved back to Texas in 08, after spending nine years in Nashville, I found out that he was still doing music and I went to go see him and he had a tour bus and he had people singing along to his songs. And um, I was shocked because I, up there in Nashville, I hadn't uh, heard anything about him. Of course, this was, you know, 15 years ago now. Uh, 12 years ago now wow wow that's amazing what was the did you see a big shift from gosh because you were in nashville you know in the early 2000s so you got to see that shift from like social media and internet and how people you know put out music and stuff what was that change for you or you know just curious what you think about all that yeah it's uh it's been kind of brutal um you know, I moved to Nashville in 1999, basically to like be Alan Jackson, right? <laughs> and that was just, there were two major things going against me. Number one, the culture in general was shifting away from that style of music. It was kind of like, you know, going more pop and more bro country and, and in some ways has been ever since. I think the pendulum is starting to swing back now. But And then the other thing is the technology was against me as well because you know, the nineties was the heyday of, of selling physical records in Walmart and Best Buy and everything. And, um, the industry really went into a tailspin in 99. Um, and you know, eventually for a while, it just looked like the music industry might not survive. And then after a few years, um, then iTunes came along and started selling downloads. So it's like, okay, we can you know, they basically sued everybody that was file sharing. And we now we have an actual alternative where people could pay a dollar a song. Okay. But it destroyed the album. You know, some people were upset about that. I remember Garth being upset about that. And um, because now people don't have to buy the whole album. They can just buy one song. And so anyway, the, down, the downloads were n not anywhere close to what the album sales had been. And then now, since then, we've moved into a streaming culture. And I think, um, I think that's where it's going to start to level out. I mean, that's even 20 years ago, I, I kind of thought once there's high-speed internet everywhere, you won't have to have all that stuff on your phone. There'll just be some big, huge database of all music that's ever been recorded. And you just subscribe to that and, and you'll just be able to listen to what, anything you want, whenever you want. And that's pretty much what Spotify and things like that are turning into Apple music and everything. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so I think, so now you're in it. Now the business is changing because as people switch more and more to streaming, um, the, um, it's, there's uh, lots of different ways that that affects things. For one thing, I, I feel like, a lot of people are starting to use streaming uh, somewhat in place of radio. I'd say radio is like, as far as just, if you're just going to get in your car and just listen to music, some people these days might turn on the radio, but if you're a Spotify or an Apple, you can just turn on that and listen to some playlist that's generated by them or some radio station that's generated by them. You don't have to have any ads. So a lot of people are switching over to that. Well, when that happens, um, the, the record label and the artist are getting paid off of that, not just the songwriter. Uh, the songwriter is also getting paid. 
But see, on radio play, only the songwriter is getting paid off of that. And so record labels have... I didn't know that. Yeah. So record labels have never made any money off a of radio play directly. All the money that's... All the royalty money goes to songwriters and publishers who are the owners of the song, the actual song copyright. Yeah. Um, but as people start streaming more now, it's actually... Um, the record labels are starting to see the light of day, a light at the end of the tunnel, uh, because now you have like, for instance, if you think about a group like the Eagles, um, they probably don't sell a ton of CDs or vinyl or whatever anymore. I'm, I'm sure a few, but not a ton, but they probably get streamed. They get played on the radio all the time and they probably get streamed all the time. And the, the record labels are starting to see that streaming income now as, as far as income over time from a catalog, right? Yeah. So they, the record labels own these catalogs of sound recordings of albums and those albums now are getting streamed and the record labels are, are getting that streaming money, whereas they did not get the radio, the radio money. And so another thing is that independent artists, typically don't get the radio money as much either because uh, typically the way the radio money gets distributed to the songwriters is that they do a survey. And if you're, if you're only getting a little bit of radio play, like on local stations, you're probably not going to show up on the survey. So a, a lot of the money just ends up going to the big name songwriters, but on Spotify, on the digital economy, they can keep track of every single little, right. It's big data. They can keep track of every single exact spin. And so, um, so it's, it's still just a trickle of money, but at least it's a long-term trickle, right? Yeah. So over the, over time, um, and it's transparent, you can see everything and know where yeah. it's going. Right. Ideally it's like, it is a pain because the, the statements are like a hundred pages long and you know, I don't know whoever has time to audit that junk, oh my but, God. but yes, theoretically, um, it, there, there is hopefully a level of transparency. The next thing I'm interested in and curious about is whether the internet can ever live up to the potential of maybe getting rid of gatekeepers and letting just people determine what music is popular, which would be really interesting because in the past, you know, definitely in the nineties and before, you had to be on major la uh, you had to be on a major label to get radio play and so you had these gatekeepers that kind of chose who the public gets to hear I see what you're saying um, these days it's possible that you put out a, some music and it gets a little bit of popularity and then it gets added to some playlists and it gets a little more popular and then it gets heard by more people and then and, and what they can do these days is they can look at the data and they can see what, what music is growing in popularity. And then that music tends to then get added to more playlists and get more exposure. So like, for instance, we, my, my band, um, Hill Country, um, you know, I had this crazy idea a couple of years ago to just start a band, even though, you know, I've, I've been a solo act for my whole career up to this point but started a band called it Hill Country. And um, we, because of COVID, we weren't able to afford to get a publish uh, to get a publicist 
or a radio promoter, we kind of needed to hold on to every penny that we had. And so we just slapped it up on the internet, the album, and put it on Spotify and iTunes. And um, a guy named Luke Combs tweeted about us. Um, and he's like one of the biggest artists in mainstream country. And he just heard it. Turns out he was, he's been a fan of mine for a while and he just heard about the album through an online review and he just checked it out and he liked it and he tweeted about it. And then, then we got, then Spotify added us to some playlists. And so now we're seeing our listenership grow and grow. And, um, we, we don't have a label. We don't have a manager. We don't have any of that stuff. And so, um, I'm interested to see if that can be something that happens in the future uh, where, you know, maybe the public itself determines what's popular and you don't have to necessarily have to have the approval of any different gatekeepers. I don't know. I think there'll always be a need for some sort of curated list or gatekeeper or something. And there's also this weird dynamic where people tend to like what's already popular and they tend to like what's uh, what they hear repeated re repeatedly. And so, you know, there's, there's sort of a circular uh, thing that happens with popularity where what's already popular becomes more popular. And it, it's weird how all that uh, happens, but I think it is at least possible these days to, uh, well, like Lil Nas X, I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of that song and everything, but, but that's a good example of Old Town Road. I'm pretty sure he just slapped that up on a, on a website and it got a ton of listens and then, you know, became a huge hit. Yeah, um, massive hit. I mean, I think you're right. Um, I, I think the there's a a blending of sorts, right? The pie is just getting divvied up differently. So I think, like you said, not not one is going to go away or one is going to take over. They'll both just simultaneously exist, which is great for independent artists that now see there is a an avenue that they can put out their own music, their own content. Maybe it doesn't reach as much people, but you can make more money even probably potentially because it's all yours and you own it all and you know that sort of thing but you actually with the internet you technically you know theoretically you have the potential to reach the whole world almost right anybody that's connected to the world and that kind of reaches anybody can have you know um and i think that's very unusual it, you know youtube is, is a great example of something you're saying where you'll you'll see some show right that's a national show it's on tv whatever and it gets let's say it gets a million viewers an episode there are people on youtube who get millions of views per video they put out they really have a wider reach than some huge company putting out this massive show that big budget 50 people on the crew and you've got just one guy in his basement you know uh you know streaming uh from just some regular camera that's amazing to me i think yeah. what i hope is that that doesn't end i hope right. that so the powers that be the gatekeepers as as you've you know so eloquently called them because i think that's exactly what it is I hope that they don't find a way to stop that, you know, to make right. it to where it costs you to post on YouTube or something, or it costs you to, you know what I mean? Like that will right. to be where the downfall is. If we can just keep that line open, it's sort of, and I know it's a double-edged sword because it means anybody can get their music out there, right? right. That That's a good thing and a bad thing. And, and yes. it, but at the same time, if your stuff's good and you have a good song and 
it will find its way around. I think, you know, yeah. I think if it's a good, if it's good enough, it will, you know, get around. Um, and if, if you keep doing it, those seeds that you're planting can come back later. Like you said, Luke Combs had known you before, right? And I guarantee you that had an influence on him retweeting that because, oh, I know this guy before. He's got this new band. They're awesome, right? So there's this whole thing behind it. And look what a retweet can do for people, a tweet or an yeah. Instagram post or that power is in the power of the, you know, the poster. And I think great that it's not some company. I, I like that we have more control over it, you know, and I like independent artists and you do your own stuff and you put it out. And I talked to so many musicians like that and they love it. They, lo I don't yeah. think they would change it if they, if they could, to be honest with you, even if it reached more people, because again, they own everything. They, they control it. The creativity, uh, creativity, they get to, you know, decide, you know, their, their image, their brand. Right. You know, I just think that that freedom has to be great. Yeah. I'm, I've been, you know, thinking about writing a little something. I don't know if I ever will actually write it and put it out, but basically how the internet broke, uh, how the internet broke the music business and made it better than ever. And so in the, in like around 99, it, it really felt like the internet had maybe broken the music business and that maybe music was never going to be valued the way it was. And we were never going to have big budget, big budgets for, you know, people to go out and make amazing uh, music like they did. But these days, I think, you know, another, another way that the internet helps is through crowdfunding. And so we're, we're doing a thing, Hill Country's doing a thing on our website where um, if people sign up basically to subscribe to our music, or you could think of it as being our patrons yeah. or whatever, however you want to think of it, um, it's, it's $5 a month, uh, or they can choose more if they want. And then in return from that, we're, uh, we're giving people all the new music that we make as we make it, right? So when I write a new song, I just record it on my phone and post it there in the audio vault and people can start listening to the song sort of in its naked infancy. Yeah. And then when we go into the studio uh, and we record it, as soon as we you know, have a rough mix, we can let them hear that. As soon as we have a final mix, we let them hear that. Dude, that's there, awesome. I don't yeah. heard of that. That is so cool. And then, and then what we do is when we have enough new songs that are completely finished, we'll go ahead and make that public and, and put it on the, the, the regular channels. But in the meantime, our, our hardcore fans and supporters there, we're, we're literally using their monthly donations as our recording budget. So we're just treating them the same way we would treat our record label or our manager. Just here's we we did this with y'all's money. Here's, here's what we did bring them along for the know that they're way more appreciative than those record labels. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and what's cool about it is, is that when it's distributed like that, cause see, so like a long, long time ago, you had music patrons that basically made it possible for an artist to not be digging ditches, but to focus on, you know, writing, uh, the hymns for church or whatever. And it would be typically some rich family or government official or bishop or something taking care of them. The only problem with that is, is if that guy dies or decides he doesn't like your latest music, whatever, you're, you're screwed. 
but this way when it's a distributed patron model um it's it feels very secure from an artist standpoint where if anyone if your new project doesn't float somebody's boat as long as it's good enough in general for as long as enough people get it it's not like one person I, I get nervous when any one person is paying all my bills right that's that's scary because what if that person goes away You're right. but if you have if you have even just a few hundred fans giving you five dollars a month that's really enough for us to do our music our way and it's very freeing because um we're, we're we're not having to worry about what what kind of music we need to make to get on the radio we're not having to worry about um you know definitely not having to try to worry about getting signed and getting, getting into best buy or whatever you know and the other thing i love about it too is that it's that i like the instantaneous satisfaction of sharing it new music with at least a small group of fans because typically for me i'll write a song and then six months to a year later i'll have enough songs where we'll go into the studio and record it and then oftentimes it's six months to a year later that the album finally comes out and maybe a certain song gets on the radio so usually like the song we're working right now on radio just to texas radio is called dixie darling I wrote that song three years ago. Wow. And, and so there's always this, and it, and it just came out really for sale to the public, you know, in April. And so there's always this huge delay and whatever music that you're normally talking to people about and promoting is usually two or three years behind the actual music that you're, creating right now which is typically what you're most excited about because it's freshest but this this way uh with our hideout members we call them hideout members it's the hill country hideout and and with our hideout members we just post that stuff immediately and i think what we're going to start doing in september is just we're just going to commit to releasing uh, a song a month fully recorded mixed mastered everything a song a month um, and then that way our subscription members will just get a song a month. And, uh, and like I said, they'll get the rough mixes of, of, of all of it as we go along. I love and, um, thing. I think that's, so cool. and then, yeah. And then that way we get to share with people and start getting a little bit of that feedback and start that helps us even figure out like by the time we build up 10 or 12 songs, it kind of helps us we've already tested the waters a little bit with some of those songs and we have a little bit of an idea of maybe which one is like catching people's ear the most, which, which one we might want to spend money on to promote further, which is, I, I, I hate trying to read people's minds, but when you have a finite promo budget, you got to pick one song Gotta do something. and you're, you're just trying to look in your crystal ball and figure out which song people want to hear. And I don't know. I don't know. I like them all. I wrote them. I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't know what you like. I don't know what, who likes. So it's, it's nice to have the hideout uh, members to just kind of be our sounding board and, um, and just, you know, see what they say, you know? Plus they love, they've, I know that they love like, you know, access right to the band. Right. 
or to you know you as an artist um right that behind the scenes information right getting the the songs as they progress and and they get to see how the song changes and right. you know what what decisions were made and dude that is like that's the new way that's the new right. way right you've got patreon members for podcasts they do the same thing right. for podcast and right. and i love it i think it's you, you know as a fan you get to put your money where you really want it to go and support right. who you really want to support and it goes direct yeah. to that person directly like, right there's no middleman yeah there's no middleman there's no avenue there's no i hope like when you buy an album like you said best buy right like so let's go back to those days when you used to go to right. best buy and look through the albums and buy them that money you, you thought right oh this artist is going to get my 15 dollars. nope right onto right. the record label and then it gets who knows what they actually get at the end of it but right. i love this i love this patreon and i like that there's levels of it so you can right. you can commit as much as you want like i only got five bucks a month or you know what right. i love they're my favorite band ever i'm giving them 25 a month so i can have that vip i just i love it man i'm so happy to hear that artists like yourself and other artists are leveraging that because i think that's a new way i also think live streams moving forward have you done any for the pandemic and how do you see that you know working into your revenue streams moving forward yeah um live streams are an interesting animal um i've been trying to trying to think how I feel about it, you know, cause it's like, um, it's, uh, it's weird because, you know, when, when we do a live show, there's no question that that's fun. I love doing live shows. We are, we can only be in one place in the known universe on any particular night. And those people that are there in that room with us, we have a shared experience and that's fun. Um, the live stream, on the internet is different because theoretically anybody in the world can see it. And theoretically, like basically every other artist that is live streaming that night, it's like, we're all in the world's largest honky tonk and we're all playing at the same time. (laughs) The world's largest honky tonk, right? So you can come see Hill country or you can go down the hall and see Wade Bowen, or you can go down the hall and see Sonny Sweeney or somebody is, you know, like literally, on any given time, especially when the pandemic first hit, I would just pull on my phone and it was just like, so-and-so is live. So-and-so is live. There's a, everybody was live all at the same time. So the, my first impulse was to feel that the, that it was cheapened somehow that we were just sort of like, 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 so if I do a hundred shows a year in a hundred different places, that makes sense. If I do a hundred live stream shows a year, any, I, you could I don't know, should I do that? Or is that just, it feels like you're doing the same exact show in the same exact spot to just whoever, whatever other random people happen to listen, but it could be the same people like, uh, or, or whatever, you know, maybe it's, and I, I've also in going back to the analogy of the world's largest honky tonk, it's like, people are just randomly popping in and out at all times. So people will, people will pop in like when I've got, you know, five minutes left to sing, I've been singing for an hour and a half and they'll be like, dude, play, play Jaden and Jill. It's like, yo, I've been, I've been, I've been playing for an hour and a half, you know? (laughs) know? Yeah. Yeah. But they don't know that they just got on their phone and it said Zane Williams is live. So they just got on there and it's, you know, so it's a weird, 
it's a weird dynamic. I think, I think the people that are doing it best right now are the people who are kind of sticking to a particular day and time where people can kind of tune in and make it feel a bit more like sort of a TV show. And there are some people I've seen that are putting in the time and effort to, to sort of have it be different every time, either uh, like, I, I think, uh, the method that seems to be working best is if you have a special guest that way oh, you that have a different, you have a different guest every time. So it's not the same show every time it's, and, and you also have the advantage of at least in real time, you're interacting with your guest, And so there's at least that uniqueness about it. Sure. My main problem with just me streaming on the internet is what makes it any different really from you just watching me on YouTube or anything else. And, and oftentimes the streaming in live streaming, the qualities is bad. Like there's technical difficulties and there's lag and there's, and I'd almost rather just um, like if I was going to watch somebody that I'm a fan of say the nitty gritty dirt band or, or uh, you know, Jason Isbell or something, like I could watch him live and I guess there's a little bit of a novelty to the fact of thinking that, wow, this is actually happening right now, but I could just go watch him with his full band, like on YouTube at a really nice venue because there I've seen a few like shows like that, or I could go watch the nitty gritty dirt band on Austin city limits live or something like that professionally filmed. And so it's kind of like, well, do I really want to spend my time watching them? play in their living room like on their iphone or do i want to go watch them on austin city limits and i don't know i i have mixed feelings about the live streaming but i definitely think that um overall the internet i'm definitely glad we have the internet because if this whole pandemic thing was going on and we didn't have the internet that would be really lame i still don't think that live streams are as good as live shows but oh. I, I definitely think that, you know, they're worth doing and I'm, I'm doing them. I'm trying to do them, you know, occasionally I'm, I'm a little too lazy to line up a new guest every week and do all that. So I'm not, I'm letting other people do that. <laughs> you know, um, uh, my, my theory on that and look, I'm not a musician um, and you know, I don't play live, but my, my thing would be, but you know, look, I've ran businesses, and and anytime you can find a way to, gosh, supplement or add something new to what you do, and it doesn't affect what you do well and why people love you. My thing with live streaming, if I was a musician, I wouldn't use it as a main revenue stream, like in that sense. But I would do this. I would do I would start doing small live streams before my live shows behind, you know, in the green room and do a small right. play one song with the band, you know, while he's munching on his what and we're all singing. It's just kind of this, you know, 10 minute quick live stream, uh, you know, that's going to happen. Um, that, that's kind of how I would do it or post live stream right afterwards you know hey god we had a great show ask me a few questions about the show we're here in nashville you know whatever that that sort of thing may be because i totally get you know doing a full set and the quality's not there and right that energy's not there between the audience and yourself and that plays a lot into your performance i would have to imagine so yeah i totally get it I, that's what i would do i would find a way to just get it in there as a as a supplement as an addition right as a side dish if you will 
to, to what I do, but I, no way can it replace a live show because it's a live show, right? Like yeah. it's that energy is there. Um, you know, how are you on the whole live show things right now as far as are you trying to play live shows? Are you trying to get somewhere you can? Are you avoiding it all? How is that going for you? Yeah, it's been weird. I mean, it's been weird for everybody. Um, I was talking to on his tour bus on his way to a show. Right. But, you know, that's what I Zoomed with him when he was on his tour bus, literally on the way to a show. We had a great conversation about all of that. Yeah. Most of our shows got canceled. Um, we have, we actually have four or five full band things still on the books right now um, that are like at large outdoor venues where people can spread out. Yeah. So definitely the advantage goes right now to venues that have a large outdoor space and the whole drive-in concept, you know, is um, yeah, something that more and more people are doing. Um, especially large festivals and everything are just trying to go to more of a drive-in format. Um, and I, I like that idea. Um, when you say drive-in, because I've seen two ways of doing that. So right. drive-in, I think of there's also the one like Blake Shelton did, right, where you, you could do it that way. There was some drive-in that way. Where you go to actual drive-in theaters, and then he just he's, he's in one location, but he's being broadcast to all the yeah. theaters. But then yeah, I that's saw somebody, Kevin Russell from Shiny Ribs. I had him on the podcast, and he taught, he literally was on top of a van playing while people were in a field in their cars and yeah and it was tuned through an fm receipt right. so the same way as a drive-through right. but it just or drive you're actually there yeah yeah you're there you see him you know playing right. I, i'm you know i don't know i thought that was cool yeah i think that i think that's um i think that's going to be pretty common for the next little while because um you know you can so there's two ways of doing the in-person model. You can either just have a regular sound system and just have people basically sit on their tailgate or, or put chairs in the grass next to their car or whatever. Yeah. Or essentially, I would almost call that the tailgate model, you know, where people are essentially tailgating and then you, you're, you've got a stage set up and a regular sound system you're playing. Or then you can supplement that also you can do and or the FM transmitter deal where you send your signal to an FM shortwave short distance transmitter. And that way people can tune, tune it in on their car stereo. What I, what I, I haven't done enough research to find out if there would be a sound delay there where you'd have to either pick one or the other, or if you could do both at the same time, if people could choose whether to listen inside their car or outside. But it seems to me like, you know, there might be an advantage of people being able to sit in their car with the AC on. Yeah. Then I'm kind of imagining like, imagine you're in a field with a hundred trucks and they're all running, yeah. uh, you know? And I mean, it's like, well, everybody's just sitting there in their AC listening. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know for sure. And then plus if it's large enough, you know, you're going to have to, those people are going to have to go to the bathroom somewhere. So yeah. those, um, drinks, eating, 
Yeah, drinks and eating. So a lot of the places that I've been seeing having the most success doing this are venues and restaurants that already have bathroom capacity and, you know, drink, serving drinks and maybe some to-go food or some type of capacity, but they have a large, either a large parking lot or a large field next to them or a large outdoor amphitheater. And those type places are able to put on shows right now. And I've, I've also been toying with the idea, um, you know, especially if I get desperate for money here in a little while, uh, depending on how long this all goes, of just finding a fan that has like a field, you know, an acre or something where we can just, I can just sell 15 cars, car spots or 15 or 20 car spots and that's it. And then I just set up a couple speakers and everybody just sits out beside their car and, or maybe I do the FM transmitter thing, either one and just do small, small drive-in things, just field parties basically. Um, and, um, so to answer your question, we have a few full band things and then I've been doing some, um, I've been doing more private party, you know, backyard party type deals. Um, and to be honest, there's not a lot of, a whole lot of social distancing that goes on with those things, but it's yeah. like, well, I, I got, I got to make money and you know, I get it. It's, I'd rather do that than I can make more money doing that. Uh, doing one show like that than I could in a couple or three weeks of yeah. some sort of manual labor or something. So, um, you know, if somebody probably the band is probably social distancing and doing everything. It's the people in the crowd, right. That are not, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I already know what's happening. Like I, I can, yeah, the, the type of person that would, you know, hire a musician for their backyard party, invite all their friends, uh, those, that type of person is probably not all that worried about COVID yeah. and, you know, I mean, it's a, it is a free country and you know, it's I private problem. Yeah. I'm, I'm in favor of people, people being grownups and making their own decisions. And basically, you know, if I make a decision to be there then, then, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm there because it's worth it for me to be there. And, and, um, so I've done a few of those things and it's fun. I mean, I, I definitely, I miss playing for people more and seeing people and being around people. So I definitely have fun. And then usually what I do is um, I try to social distance the best I can, but dude, if somebody wants a picture with me, man, I, I just can't turn that down. I, I just, um, and then um, I just kind of. Uh, I'm lucky. Kind of, he wants pictures with me. <laughs> I'm lucky. I'm lucky. <laughs> yeah. I, if I, if I go to a show like that and I'm around, you know, people, then I, I try to stay away from like my parents and my, my wife's parents for the next week or so, um, sure. just cause sure. they're older and yeah. stuff. But, uh, you know, it is, times. it is what it is. Yeah. Well, I, I, we'll all get through. We'll, we'll, it's not going to last forever, but yeah, we'll get through, man. We're, we've been through a lot in this country, uh, all of us as Americans. <laughs> so I, yeah doubt um uh that we'll get through this um so you know um uh i was gonna ask um basically just like how people can get in touch with you online i just want you to be able to tell people how, what's the best way for them to you know get your music follow you online your band you know all that sort of stuff so just go ahead and tell us all that sure the one stop 
shop would be our my band's website, which is hillcountry.band. So www.hillcountry.band. Sadly, we're fixing to have to change our name. So there was there ended up being a trademark issue with the phrase Hill Country that we didn't know about. It's my bad. Are you it's it's me? no, and it, it the reason I missed it is because it's not another band that owns that trademark. It's it's a another business that's in a different area of business, but they do own the trademark within the realm of sound recordings and live performances and i just didn't notice that because they're they are not a band so um now that we have discovered that it's i'm glad it's better to find out now than later we've only been really we we've only been touring as a band since january and we put our first album out in april or whatever so we're gonna have to change our name switch over to a different website but but hillcountry.band will forward to whatever that new website is anyway www.hillcountry.band um, is where to go right now. And that's where the hideout is. And, and then that has links to all of our social media. We're on all the different social media platforms and Spotify and iTunes. We've been getting some Spotify love here lately. They've been putting us on some playlists and that's awesome. um, yeah. That's Google awesome. and ye shall find. <laughs> <laughs> right, Google is that everything on Google? Um, yeah, well, awesome, man! I listen. I really appreciate you taking the time to um, to talk to us today, and um, God, just a great conversation, man! I really appreciate you just being open and honest and sincere, and you know about everything that you know is on your mind. And um, I know your listeners and your fans, you know, appreciate that. It's probably why they like you to begin with. Um, to be honest with you, but um, yeah, it's been a really, really great conversation, man, and I really yeah. do. It. I've learned a lot actually uh, through this. So um, my best to your family, your band, you know, your crew members, everyone that you got working for you. You know, my best to you guys. And I know you have to make a lot of difficult decisions and and do a lot of different things. So just know that there's people out out there just like me that that understand those things and support you and um, you know want to see you come through all this, so, man. So again, yeah. just wish you all the best. I appreciate that so much. Thanks for taking time and. Next time we do this, hopefully the restaurants will be open so we can do it over some good food. You can show me show me some good places to eat down there in Austin. Man, are you kidding me? I would say, <laughs> man, I know all the places. And if I can't make that happen, I'll cook. I'm a chef. I'm I'll yes. And so no It'll be awesome. Way, we'll get you some good food. <laughs> Sounds great. All right, brother. Well, thanks again, Zane. Um, again, my best to you and yours, and uh, Godspeed, brother. Cheers. The Lone Star Play podcast is produced by Texas Real Food. Go to texasrealfood.com and you can search your city for stores, butchers, restaurants, farmers markets, and more who are using fresh, artisanal, organic sources. It's a fun site that brings all natural options all together. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, go to thelonestarplay.com. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Until next time. <laughs>